Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, <clears throat> when we uh, have been working through the Gospel of John, we're in chapter 6, last one today, we're going to finish, uh, but he has done um, feeding of uh, the multitude, and then he's walked on the water, and then he's um, kind of unloaded all of this teaching about him being the bread of life, and people are starting to respond to this and ask some questions about it, and that's kind of where we are. So see if this is, uh, uh, um, see if this calls up anything in you. You go to the optometrist. Anybody feel judged when they go to the optometrist, by the way? I just, not that they're uniquely judgy people or the people who work for them are uniquely judgy. That's you know, just noting here. Like, you just, you go to the optometrist and after they blast a puff of air in your eye, does that, that's really uncomfortable, almost knocks you out of your seat. Uh, and they're like, oh, just a little puff. That's not a puff. You sent a tornado into my eye. Completely different conversation. But then you get to the point where he's like, oh, okay, all right, is it this one or this one? One, two, A, B. And you're like, eh, 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 I don't know. I don't know the answer. What, what, I, what, I mean, and you're moving them too fast. Slow down. You kind of have this moment where you're like, uh, 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 uh. And you don't know. And, and so, and then he's like, he going to the other eye and he's working that one. And then he works both eyes. Okay, how about this one? And you're going, to, I can, there's too many options. Just hop. Well, your eyesight could really use some help. I know that's why I'm here. Well, in that case, is it A, B, one, two? What what your optometrist is after, he or she, what they're after in that moment is not your frustration, although they have that. What they're after in that moment is what? Clarity. They want you to see just as well as you can possibly see. Jesus has offloaded this teaching about him being the bread of life. And people, as they're responding, are going, dude, we don't understand everything. Now, here's what Jesus is not going to do. He's not going to, like, provoke your frustration with one, two, one, two, one, two. He's, He's going to continue to say the same things and cause us to reflect on these things. That's what he's after. And this will be um, explored in three different questions that the people who are hearing him ask. So in John chapter 6, we're going to start in verse, uh, start in verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. A little bit later, um, in, in verse 48, he repeats his claim. I am the bread of life. They're fussing. Okay, they're fussing about it. Then verse 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? So here's the first question as the people are responding to this and trying to understand, uh, like, who is this guy? And who does he really think he is? I mean, isn't this Jesus? He grew up down there on 3rd Street, and we know the house where he grew up. It was the second one from the corner. Um, You know, didn't always have the lawn mowed, whatever it may be, right? Like, you've got, isn't this Jesus? We know his mom and dad. There are people in any number of situations, any number of circumstances who, like many then and today, that they want, uh, excuse me, they confused Jesus for someone who is earthly and explainable. And if you're in the room today and you're like, hey man, you know, I got drug here or I got invited here or hey, listen, I I want this to be true. I want you to know, earthly and explainable are not two words that you can use to describe Jesus as, as he's revealed in the Bible. 
He is, he is beyond both of those. Earthly and explainable, we can manage. Jesus is stepping on the scene going, oh, no, 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 watch this. He is the bread of life. That's what he says. Um, and it's why they were fussing. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. What he repeats again in verse 48, I am the bread of life. What is he after here? Who really is he? He is the bread of life. He's just repeating what he's already said. We've spent three weeks now working this through. I just point out to you a couple of things that we um, said last week that are worth repeating for this week. Verse 44. Let's just uh, read down verse 43. Uh, Jesus answered, don't grumble among yourselves. Quit your grousing and listen. Listen to what he's saying. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. He is the bread of life. He is the savior. He he wants people to come into relationship with the father. Yes, to have a legal standing as a forgiven people before the holiest of holy gods. Yes. But also, he didn't just bring them into the courtroom and say, not guilty before the judge. What did he say? To bring them to the Father. That is a family thing. So yes, innocent, declared innocent before God because of Jesus. And brought into the family of God because of Jesus. He is our Savior. And he says, no one can come to, the fa- uh, come to me unless the Father draws him. And some of you think, when you picture that in your head, you think to yourself, oh, great. This is like uh, uh, in the rodeo, you know, where they head and heal that thing, you know, drag the... This is not that. In Jeremiah chapter 31 says that God draws you with cords of loving kindness. He's, he's bringing you this way with his steadfast love. He's drawing you into a relationship, drawing you into a family. Jesus is the bread of life and that means he, he is our savior. It also means that he is the one who satisfies us. This is all basically the summary from last week. Verse 45, it's written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He who has seen the Father truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He is the satisfier. He is the one who not only um, introduces and brings us into relationship with God, we also get the opportunity through Jesus to learn to live with this God. We get to walk with this God. We get to um, experience our life with God. You will go to work tomorrow and you will do so with God because of this. And, and the opportunities that you have there will be um, uh, uh, important and eternal. And man, it, they will be, can, can, they not necessarily will be, they will, they can be satisfying to your souls as you engage your life with God. As the prophet said, they'll be taught, they'll be taught by God. And lastly, verse 49 your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, Jesus has said this about six times, it feels like, and he's going to do it again. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat, excuse me, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He is the hope giver. He's the savior. He's the one who satisfies the deepest needs of our hearts and turns and fills our life with purpose. And he's the giver of hope. Why? Because um, the, your fathers ate the bread in the wilderness and they died. And they died. We've used this picture before in here. And so I just want to re-up it for all of our sakes. Uh, 
uh, let me just give the picture. Every so often, my littlest one in particular, my littlest one will fall asleep in my spot. And this is a problem because when you come to bed, now your spot is occupied. And if you're like me, the, the, the sheets are no longer cool, right? Like you're looking forward to, like, thank you. A couple of you are like, ah, that's the most disturbing part of this whole thing. Yeah, okay. But because I'm a self-sacrificial dad, I let this happen sometimes and whatever, stop. My little one falls asleep in my spot. There comes a point in, in the evening where, time for bed, I, I scoop the little one up, take her to her bed, put her in her spot, Covers over, kiss on the cheek, see in the morning, all is well. She went to sleep in one spot and woke up in a different spot. She was sleeping and, and felt secure in the one place and woke up in her own bed perfectly secure. She went from the one place where she was okay to her normal place the, the, where she, like I built that bed for her, the place where she was supposed to be. Like she woke up perfectly secure. And I'm just noting that when, when Jesus says stuff like this and reminds us of things like this, that there is coming a day for every single person in here, unless Jesus splits the eastern skies and returns, well, we will fall asleep in one place and wake up in another. Where we will be securely Okay, we will be okay in this one place where we fall asleep. And we will wake up in the place that he made ready for us. And we will have been carried there by our Father. That is, that is the... If you're looking for a place to stand so that you can continually have hope. Hope not just for, hey, listen, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Yes and amen to that. But, but more than that, that hope, hope. So if Jesus can do that, then he can do even more for me. If you're looking for a place to stand, that's a place to stand right there. All of this, all of this is ours through trust in him. It's why he says... Um, you need to believe here. This is what he wants. I'm the living bread came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for um, the life of the world is my flesh. He, but we, we put our trust in him. He offered his flesh, taking death for us that we might live. And some of you think to yourselves, well, listen, um, and it would be perfectly right to think about this. These people did not know what was going to happen in chapter 19. Chapter 19 is where Jesus goes to the cross and dies, says it's finished. These people didn't know. Maybe we should let off the pressure on them a little bit. That's exactly right. And some of you are in here and think to yourself, I'm not sure I see all of this yet. Just like these people didn't see what was going to happen in chapter 19, I'm not sure I get all of this either. If you don't see it yet, I want you to know, man, I, like, we are praying for the day when you see it. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you understand what Jesus has done for you and what he invites you into, you can't unsee it. And if you're here and you're like, man, I saw that. I, I have seen it. I'm living in it. I want you to know you're going to head to work tomorrow. You're going to step into your neighborhood tomorrow. You can go to the grocery store, whatever it may be. And there will be people all around you who need to be invited into it. That is our opportunity. Because he's the savior. He satisfies us in the deepest longings of our heart. And he gives us hope. This is where we are.
Second note here, point of clarity. First question was, just who is this guy? Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Uh, To rephrase that, something like, what did that guy just say? What? The, the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Frank alluded to this earlier. Like, this is a little confusing. This is a little crazy. Here we go. Verse um, 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. There's that hope again. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now that makes perfect sense to everybody in here, doesn't it? Good gosh. This seems crazy. Jesus, again, he's, he's, he's not doing the thing to frustrate us. He's pointing again to the same thing that he's been saying over and over and over and over and over again. And when we, when we spin up, like, what did that guy just say? It, it goes something like this. There is no life apart from him. None. There's no life apart from him. That's, that's what he's saying here. Um, when uh, he, he specifically talks about eating flesh, drinking blood, that's all kind of crazy. Maybe in your mind, depending upon your um, uh, kind of religious upbringing, maybe in your mind you think about communion next week. Um, as a church family, first Sunday of the month, we will celebrate communion. And uh, um, people will eat the little wafer there and then drink the cup. And, and some people think, oh, okay, this, this expression of that, um, that, that eating is belief, but it's not. There's nothing magical about it. They buy the grape juice over at Kroger. Eating is not belief. They're just symbols. But belief is like eating in this sense, that, that we are trying position ourselves, if you will, to consume him, to, to like understand who he is and, and take him in so that he takes control of our lives, so that there are things in us that are changed because of the presence of Jesus in our lives. And not just consuming, but also enjoying. I want to point you back. Last week, we did our own little A-B thing where we had the, you know, biscuits and, and dinner rolls and, and uh, tortillas and bread. We did all of that kind of stuff. So just picture your favorite bread. All you keto people, just go ahead and just lust after it if you need to, okay? But, like, picture your favorite bread. You got it in your mind? And you're getting ready to eat whatever you got there. The point of that, right there, the point of me calling that to your mind is for you to think about how good it tastes in your mouth. And when we sang earlier, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. There is not a physical piece of bread that can, that can compare to the satisfying reality of the bread of life, the one who, whose goodness is all over our lives. And when we see it and when we respond to it, we take delight in it and go, Jesus, yes, yes. It shows up in very, very small ways. This is me just this morning. 
get here early, sun's not up. Stood down there by my car, looking down 528, because the sunrise this morning. Was anybody up to see it? Holy smokes, it was beautiful. Beautiful. I, I swear this morning God created colors that I didn't know existed beforehand. It was just gorgeous. And you, just, you look and you go, there's the evidence of God's goodness. That is more satisfying to me, more satisfying to us than a tortilla. I mean, and we're like 20 minutes from lunch. So like it's, it's okay. There is no life uh, apart from Jesus. Um, But make no mistake, look at verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, who, um, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was in the synagogue teaching there at Capernaum. Well, make no mistake, life is what is at stake. Life, life is what is at stake. And when we say life, there's two New Testament words I just want to highlight. There is a third word. It doesn't get used very often, but life. The, the, the word um, for existence, like physical created existence, is the word bios. We get the word, somebody from it? Biology. This is not hard. Okay, um, but it's existence. It, it is the physical mechanisms that make our life, the, the, the electrical impulses and the aspiration and the exhale. Like, this is the stuff that make that's bios. And listen, in, just to spread it a little further, in our particular world and in our particular setting in suburbia, people are so consumed with their bios, their existences, that they miss out on actual life. Zoe. This is what he is inviting us to. Life, that kind of Zoe life, that is what is at stake. You cannot count on your base or your broken impulses, whether they are religious in nature, God, I am doing my best to make sure that you're happy on my team, or whether they are irreligious in nature. God, I'm going to hang around here and just sit and watch and see if you're worth being on my team. Whether they're religious or irreligious, those impulses, that's not, he wants to give us a kind of life that will last forever, a kind of life that is indestructible even by death. What did he say? There's no life apart from him, but life is what is at stake. Verse 60 now. When many of his disciples heard it, so previously we've been dealing with the crowds. Now it's it's the folks who were kind of like connected to him. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Question might be posed something like this. What does all this mean then? Like in light of that, what does this mean? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? The word he used is scandal. The, the offense is scandal. Like, like, are you scandalized by this? 
Like, I'm just pointing, saying the same thing I've said and I've said and I've said and I've said because he wants us to experience him like we're going to experience lunch. We, he, they, he wants us to intake him like we're going to intake food here in a little while. And he, here's where this has to start. When he, what does this mean? Here's, the, here's where it starts. Just because something is hard does not mean that it's wrong. In our world, we're looking for easy and oftentimes we think, oh, the easy road must be the best road, or the easy thing must be... It's not always... A, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. I know we're packed full of engineers in here. All of you people who made straight A's and Calculus 3 was a breeze. You like yawned your way through it. And so I just brought this as a pointer to, for you to enjoy. Nobody? The answer, I would love to know the answer. Yeah. 42 is what I said, because according to Hitchhikers, I mean, that's exactly, that's the answer to the whole thing. I, you know, the universe or whatever. I, I have no idea. I, I don't even know what most of that means. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's wrong. And in our particular world, we long for what's easy And sometimes Jesus says things, requires things, or asks things that are uniquely difficult and still very much right. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's wrong. Secondly, uh, look in verse 62. Then, well, do you, are you scandalized by this? That's the question. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Which they would, by the way. Acts chapter 1, this is, is what's going to happen. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who wouldn't believe who it was who would betray him. He said to him, this is why I told you that no one could come to the Father, uh, come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So here we go. Uh, The second part of this, Jesus just absolutely refuses to let off the gas here. He is like fully engaged and he is not lowering his standards to meet our expectations. He refuses to let off. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Uh, He's talking about the spirit here. Don't, don't, don't rely on your flesh. It will not, it will not help you rely on my flesh instead. His, he is unique in his identity. He is going to the father. He is going to die on the cross for our sins. He is going to rise again from the grave and he is going to ascend um, to the right hand of the father. He's unique in his identity and he is unique in his message. The words that he gives are spirit and life. He refuses to let off. So, what happens next? Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You talk about a terrible verse. What does this mean? Here are three closing realities. Number one, there will be people who turn and walk away. There just will be. People will walk away from Jesus. Most of that is rooted in their worldview and understanding. Maybe they were, if you will, kind of uh, uh, um, 
on the outside looking in, just trying to understand or whatever, but there will be people who step in and they're like, nope, don't like this, and then they walk away. I encountered this this week. It was a pretty fascinating thing. They did um, a, uh, a study where they took all of these psychological um, uh, studies about how people make decisions and how people do things and what are the assumptions um, underneath that. And then uh, they, they synthesized all that data and basically came down to six big things that form the presuppositions of how you make decisions, how you understand the world, your worldview, so to speak. Here they are. Uh, my experience is a reasonable reference. By the way, is that true to anybody? <laughs> like, uh, no, it's not. Like, just because you experienced it. Okay, uh, I am correct in making assessments of the world. I am good. Sometimes. Uh, my group is a reasonable reference. Um, my group is good, and people's attributes, not their context, shape outcomes. These were the six assumptions or presuppositions underneath people's decision-making processes and how they viewed the world. I point that out to say, I've just been noodling on this for a while, sent it to some friends and we've dialogued about it. Like, I point this out just to say this. Like, all of these are pretty much the opposite of what Jesus said. Uh, I am good. Uh, no, you're not. Like, you're spiritually dead in your sins and um, there, there is no one good None but God. Uh, I am correct in making assessments of the world. You don't know very much about very much at all, right? Well, my people, my people are good. Mm, They're in the same boat that you are. I mean, we just keep going on and on and on with explanations about how, how when the gospel comes into our lives and begins to transform us from the inside out, these are some of the things that go. These are the, some of the things that get changed. These are, the, these are some of the things that the gospel takes and goes rip upside down completely. The reasons people walk away, these are just sub- presuppositions for them. But he, he, here's the reality. The, people will walk away. S- some people do so because of the requirements that Jesus lays out. The term for that in our popular age right now is the term deconstruction. How many of you have heard the uh, phrase, I'm deconstructing my faith or or whatever? All All right, so here's the deal on that. Deconstruction, it is my pastoral experience and, and it is also demonstrated oftentimes in the Bible, including right here. The deconstruction is about demands, not doctrine. They don't like what Jesus requires, so they reject what he reveals. I don't want to change my life. Therefore, I'm going to say that he was wrong on other stuff too. Now, that having been said, I I need this pastoral parenthesis, and I need y'all to lock in with me here. The question comes along, well, what if somebody like that walked in to our small group, Sunday school class, worship service? What would we do? The answer is, hug them, welcome them, and preach the gospel. Why? Because it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. There will be people. There is, just in light of our culture, in light of our situation, in light of all the stuff happening in the world, there's going to come a day where people that you don't like and would never choose to sin like they are sinning, where they walk in the doors right there. What will be our response as a church? I had to cut three different conversations, different people, different situations, different topics, 
Three different conversations this week about that question right there. What are we going to do if blank happens? If blank shows up and what's the answer to that? We'll hug them, say, we're so glad you're here and preach the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus changes Pharisees and he changes prodigals. We are going to be those people who welcome them and preach the gospel because it is the power of God and salvation for everyone who believes. How do you think about these people? I think about them as wandering sheep. And what did Jesus say? They're worth going after. Third reality. There will be faithful people who stick. Look at the end here, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else do we turn? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else do we go? we've cast our lot with you, Jesus. And we have come to believe, and listen, we know that you are who you say you are. We won't walk it perfectly, but we're not turning away. We, we may stumble along the way, but we are not turning our face away. There may be circumstances that come and situations that arise and heart, the headwinds may start blowing this way, but our confession is, Jesus, we're not turning to the right or to the left. We're not going anywhere else. We're not looking for an out. God, don't give us an exit ramp. We're with you the whole way. There will be people, faithful people, who stick. And listen, you want to keep yourself around those people? You want to raise your kids around those people? You want to um, engage in your life with those kind of people? And listen, church family, we want to become those people. We want to become those people. Why? Because these are the people who make differences in generations that follow. It, It may not look like it in this moment. But in that moment out there, what we do today will matter then. What does he mean? What does all of this mean? It means that through our ongoing trust, even when it's hard, even when it's hard, we are going to keep following. And that process right there will be the thing that not only changes us, but is a part of changing other people's lives too. Let's pray together. Uh, God, grant us this kind of clarity that we need because we need it. Um, And just as we process here and just take a minute to let our minds soak in what you've said. By your Holy Spirit, I I pray that the things that have been uh, uniquely and personally set down on every individual Um, that, that would find good soil in our hearts. As, uh, 
as we think about what it means to follow you, even in the midst of hardship, whether it's our own decisions or decisions that other people's make for us, but as we think about you following, following you in the midst of hardship, I, I pray that you would give us that kind of clarity, that kind of faith, that courage that says, where else are we going to go? Grant that now for Jesus' sake, I pray, Father. And do so by your Holy Spirit so that your kingdom comes and your will is done in our lives. Amen and amen.